For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to be reading about the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. This is probably a passage of scripture that is largely overlooked because we're interested in getting to the good stuff. But let's rejoice this morning in the fact that our Heavenly Father knows your name. He knows you intimately, and he wants to put these details in his word. Matthew chapter 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, and Ammon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elud. Elud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ were 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this book, 
took all this took place to fulfill the Lord what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, good morning, everyone. Jeff, thank you for reading that and for giving us a lesson on how to pronounce all those names. Uh, That is how you do it, folks. That's how it's done. (laughs) This morning, uh, we are beginning our Advent series called Emmanuel, How God Gives Us Himself. And I am incredibly excited and have the privilege to start that series for us this morning. But I will say, I I normally feel, I got to start our Advent series last year as well, and I loved it. And I, I do feel this cheery joy that I get to start our Advent series. But I will say, given the consideration of all that Scott talked about and prayed about, rolling into Christmas time this year feels strange, as most of 2020 has, right? It can seem out of step to begin singing out of nowhere about angels coming down and singing praises and about joy coming to the world. It might feel a little bit like when someone makes a joke too soon about something difficult that has happened. This year has been a doozy, no doubt. But given the circumstances of this year, and particularly given the circumstances of this year, I would argue that there is nothing better that we could be doing today and for the next four weeks than pressing into the truths of Christmas. In The Fellowship of the Ring, the first book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the main character, Frodo, receives this small lamp from another character as a gift, which would shine if a certain phrase is spoken. And the woman giving him the lamp tells Frodo, may this be a light for you when all other lights go out. The truth of Christmas is a light for us when all other lights go out. And so my question for us this morning, and the question that we're going to tackle as we study these next four passages over the next several weeks, is this. How is the truth of Christmas a light when all other lights go out? What does Christmas time tell us about how to navigate hard years like 2020? And what word does Christmas time speak to us when all other lights go out? Well, this morning in Matthew 1, we're going to see that Matthew teaches us two realities about Christmas that speak into this moment, that are a light for us when lights go out. The first is that God's promises do not fail. The second is that God's presence abides forever. God's promises do not fail, and God's presence abides forever. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at each of those points in turn from this text. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning, and we recognize that it has been a long year. For most of us, it's felt three or four years long. But at the end of this year, Lord, May we remember this year not for its difficulties and trials, but for the ways in which you used it to refine us and to show us and bring us deeper in 
to who Jesus is. So Lord, this morning, I pray that you would help us to do that. May we walk out of here knowing you deeper than we did when we came in. Show us yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing this passage teaches us is that God's promises do not fail. Now, be honest. This is the 830 service. How many of you, during the scriptures of all these names, by about verse 6, completely checked out, and then by verse 18, when Mary's name came on the scene, and you're like, oh, this is familiar, this is Christmas, check back in. Now, why, Jeff, Jeff alluded to this in his reading, but why would we begin our Christmas series with a list of names that feels odd? But it may appear just like a list of names to us, but to the original readers of Matthew's gospel, this list of names was supercharged with meaning. This genealogy, as it was called, was like an overview of the whole Old Testament in a few short verses. Each name recounted a story of God's faithfulness to continue his promises through his people to bring them their Messiah, their Savior. And there's a lot we could notice about these verses, but I just want us to notice one thing in verses 1 through 17. This is an incredibly realistic family tree. In each of our family trees, we have people that we could point to higher up on the tree and say, "I, I am proud that they are in my family tree. I have my parents and my grandparents are here this morning, and I'm proud that they're in my family tree. But there are also people that we all have in our family tree where if we were to write a, kind of a selective history, there's a, a few branches that we might lop off, right? Or that we might leave out of that family tree. But what's so interesting about this genealogy is that Matthew does do selective history. Matthew doesn't give us every single person in the line of Jesus. He's not including every name, and yet he still includes some total wrecks in this family tree and some terrible circumstances. Think about Judah fathering Perez by Tamar, as it says in verse 3. Tamar, who was Judah's daughter-in-law, who dressed up like a cult prostitute with whom Judah had an affair. True story, Genesis chapter 38. Or think about David, right? You get to verse 6, and it says, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And then it says, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. That woman he coerced into sleeping with him because of his power. That same power he then used to have her husband, Uriah, murdered on the battlefield. And then there are just the stories of suffering as Abraham and Sarah waited and longed for a child, for the Lord to bless them with a promised son. Or Ruth, the foreigner who was left poor and helpless as an outcast in a foreign land after the death of her husband. And yet, through all of this sin and suffering, Through all of these things that seemed like they could have derailed God's plan, this genealogy ends like this in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Messiah, Christ. See, this genealogy is telling us that God was not absent in the sin and suffering of his people, but was working in it and through it to bring about redemption, to bring Jesus onto the scene. And in the same way, 
He is not absent from the history of your life. He is working in all things for your good and for his good purposes, even if you can't see it, even if it's impossible for you to see it right now. These people in this genealogy give me so much hope. Mothers waiting to have children, men not trusting in the timing of God and thinking they know better, outcasts feeling like they've been abandoned, people in their pride falling into sin. This sounds a lot like us. And yet all of this did not stop God's purposes or promises. And in the same way, it will not turn him aside from using you in his plan and for fulfilling all of his promises in Jesus Christ to each of you. If you trust in Jesus, God is at work right now this very day to redeem your story. To transform it from one of sin, despair, loss, and grief into a story that shows forth the love of God in Jesus. God loves to use the wreckage of our lives to show that he is still up to something in this world. To show that he is faithful and true. And so even after a year like this one, see his faithfulness displayed in this genealogy and be encouraged that he is still working in the nooks and crannies of your life to create something beautiful and glorious, to work redemption, to work you into the image of Jesus Christ. God's promises do not fail. And second, in verses 18 and 25 through 25, we see that God's presence abides forever. After we receive this flyby tour of the Old Testament, The story zooms in on the last two people in that genealogy, Mary and Joseph. And after Mary finds out that she'll be carrying this child, this Christ, Joseph receives a vision from an angel explaining how these things could be true. So let's pick up mid-vision. I'm going to read for us verses 21 to 23. If you would follow along with me in your Bibles. It says, Mary will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby, the Messiah, is given two names in these verses. And when we look at these two names together, these two names showcase the consequence of this little child for all of history. So let's look at these two names that we receive, that Jesus receives there in verses 21 to 23. So the first one, I said it, the one we all know best is Jesus. The name Jesus, which originally translated in the Hebrew was the name Joshua. It was a common Hebrew name, right? There's the famous character in the Old Testament, Joshua. But the name means Yahweh saves. And this makes sense of the reason why he is to be called Yahweh saves. In verse 21, because he will save his people from their sins. But if we're going to say that Jesus means Yahweh saves, we have to take a step back from that then and ask the question, okay, who is Yahweh? 
Well, Yahweh is, is the name that God gives himself to his people in the Old Testament. That's what God, the name God gives them to call him. And in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, one of the most glorious passages of all the Bible, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, our God, passes by Moses and proclaims to him his name, the meaning of his name. If Yahweh were to have an Instagram bio or a Facebook profile description, this is what it would say. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That name holds weight in this world. That name will outlast every name in the universe. And now this name is proclaimed to Moses after the people of Israel have been rescued from Egypt by Yahweh. They've just been saved by Yahweh from this bondage in slavery. And this passage then pulls back the curtain on why it is that Yahweh saves them. Or another way to say it is, what is true about Yahweh down deep in his very bones that would cause him to save this people from their bondage in in Egypt? Who is he? He is gracious, loving, compassionate, faithful, but also just. God is caring and compassionate, but he is not a pushover. Just ask the Egyptians about that fact. We must understand that all of his character together makes up who he is. We can't shape God into the way we want him to look. But notice something in this description that God gives of himself. In verse 7, God declares that he keeps his faithful, steadfast love for thousands of generations, but punishes sin to the third and fourth generation. There is Uh, an asymmetrical relationship in God's character between his disposition to love and his disposition to enact justice. Another way to say it is Yahweh is one who, when pricked, does not bleed retribution and justice, but mercy. His default reaction is toward love and grace and compassion. He is not like an angry father waiting to fly off the handle. And he delights to save those who are in need. Jesus' name means that Yahweh, the the same God whose love compelled him to save his people from their bondage in Egypt in the past, has been compelled by his love to save them again. But this time in a deeper, more ultimate sense. From their bondage to that great enemy, sin, Yahweh will use his servant Jesus like he used his servant Moses to save his people from their sins. Jesus. And that same Messiah who is named Jesus is also named Emmanuel. The name which means God with us. God with us. That same God, Yahweh, who abounds in steadfast love and mercy, 
who runs toward those who run from him is with us. See, Jesus is not just a man who serves Yahweh's purposes of salvation. Jesus is Yahweh himself enclosed in flesh and bones come near to bring us salvation. And the way in which God saves us from our sins is by drawing near to us. You see how these two names work together. Yahweh saves us by becoming near to us, by becoming one who is with us. He doesn't stand back or aloof from our pain and our sin. We don't repel him away by our sin. We draw him to us. And isn't God so different than us in this way? When things for us as human beings get even a little bit hard, our natural tendency is to run away or to hide. In a marriage, if you and your spouse are in a fight, if it's a mild fight but you're still frustrated, you might go to another room if the fight gets too heated. Or if it gets really heated, you might say, I just need to get in the car and drive a couple blocks and then come back. Or if you're in this room and you're a child and you get in a fight with your parent, uh, your natural reaction is probably after a certain point to have a desire to go to your room. And we all likely have been on the other side of that in terrible ways as well. We all likely have been abandoned by someone. And we in our sin think that God is the same way. We believe that our sin causes God to abandon us and that our suffering is evidence that he has already abandoned us. But friends, the gospel tells us that God's natural tendency, God's character is nothing like ours. And that's good news. See, God's tendencies aren't even just to bear with us, to forgive sin reluctantly, as we might forgive someone in an argument, maybe a spouse or a sibling. God's natural disposition is to sit with us in our sin and our shame, our disappointment and disgrace. It's to run to us. And the place that we see this evidenced most clearly is on the cross. You see, on the cross, God draws near in Jesus, both to deal with our sin and to show us his ever-abounding heart of love for sinners. As we read in his character, God says that he is abounding in faithful love, but he does judge sinners to the third and the fourth generation. Jesus, on the cross, though, deals with the judgment that our sin deserves. He punishes sin on Jesus Christ, who did not reserve it, but receives the punishment that we did deserve, while at the same time, and in that act, displaying the beauty of God's love, which not even our sin can keep him from displaying and lavishing on us. God's gift in Christ proves that rather than abandoning us, God is with us. God has drawn near to us to save us at great and ultimate cost to himself. And even more than this, Emmanuel draws near not only to save us, but to dwell with us. He doesn't just pop in and pop back out. His presence abides with us 
always. Think about this. Matthew's gospel begins with this proclamation of Emmanuel, God with us, coming. Matthew's gospel ends like this. The last verse of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verse 20, this is the word of Jesus. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And church, what's, what that means is that Jesus is here to stay. He saved us and he abides with us now and there is nothing that you can do to convince him otherwise. He gives us all of himself. He is not holding back from you. Think about the reality that this God who proclaimed his name and his glory to Moses came as a child. You can't get more vulnerable than that. He is not withholding from you. And so at the end of this hard year, let this truth stick with you. That God wants to give you himself. Maybe 2020 has brought with it a backslide into a pattern of sin. Maybe it's caused you to grow proud and be quick to judge others rather than think the best of them as we're called to as Christians. Maybe it's caused you to despair for the future. Maybe it has consumed you with anxiety and worry about yourself and your loved ones. Or maybe it's just filled you with a lot of loneliness and isolation. But Jesus, the God of compassion and grace and justice, wants to come into your life this Christmas. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the one millionth time. Jesus has drawn near to save you from your sin and be present with you in your trials. And in it all, even in a year like 2020, he is working in your life if you trust him so that you will experience more of who he is so that you can receive the joy of his presence. So church, my encouragement to you this morning is the words of Isaiah 55 verse six. Seek him while he may be found. He wants to draw near to you. Trust him today and receive the light of his presence this Christmas. There's a great story from the life of the reformer Martin Luther about how his wife, Kate, put him in his place. Uh, We all need spouses like uh, Martin Luther had. We all need put in our place every once in a while. And at one point, Luther, who was prone to fits of depression, was particularly sulking and and depressed. He just wasn't having a good string of days, and he was feeling pretty down. And after it lasted for a while, his wife recognized that this was a little silly. And so one night at dinner, his wife came down to the dinner table wearing her funeral robes in all black. And Luther said to her, who has died? And her response is fantastic. She says, doctor, (laughs) doctor, have you not heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust in. Church, I am afraid that at the end of a hard year like this one, 
with so much potential for hatred, for sin to creep in, for despair to creep in, for discouragement and hopelessness and worry to creep in and set up shop in our souls. I am afraid that we Christians are living as if the truth of Emmanuel is not true. That we are living as if God is dead. As if he has not drawn near to us. Friends, if we have a living God who in Jesus Christ delights to shower love on sinners and needy people and who really does live among us, empowering us with his presence, let's take off our funeral robes. It's not time for a funeral. As a church this Christmas, may we show the world that we have a light that endures when all other lights go out. And may the world look at our church and say, Emmanuel is true in that church. God really does dwell with those people. May that be true of us. Cast off your worries and anxieties and discouragement. God has more for you than that. He has drawn near to you in order to be a light for you when all other lights go out. So we have reason to rejoice. We have reason for hope. And we have reason to persevere this morning because our Savior has drawn near. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is nothing more we need in the universe, than your abiding presence with us. Help us to see how much we need that today. Help us to seek you with all that we have, trusting that you have sought us out in our sin and suffering to save us and make us into something beautiful. Help us to trust in your promises and know your abiding presence with us. And as we do that, Father, May your spirit shine forth from us a light that the world may see. They may look at us and recognize that God really does dwell with those people. May it be true of us this Christmas, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.